and welcome to Flash Forward. Sorry to regular listeners for the big gap between last episode and this one. I was teaching a class on podcasting, which meant that I could not actually make my podcast. Anyway, this is the last episode of season two of Flash Forward. Whoa, surprise. And since it's the last episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Now, normally we spend the first chunk of the show going to the future, where you hear a little audio drama about what's happening. And we will do that, but not just yet. Because for this final episode of the season, I decided to give myself a little challenge. Normally, I come up with the futures we travel to, right? Or I steal them from your suggestions, which I love. And then I go talk to experts about those futures. But this time, instead of coming up with a future to travel to, I asked an artificial intelligence to do it for me. And I did that with the help of my friend, Mike. Uh, my name is Mike Rignetta. I'm the writer and host of a YouTube show called Idea Channel, uh, which is we apply philosophical and critical concepts to like pop culture stuff. Uh, and I'm the creator of a podcast called Reasonably Sound, which is about the sort of science and theory around all things audio. So back in July, Mike made this video for his YouTube channel that was totally scripted by a neural network. The recurrent neural network that I used is one called Torch. And what you do with Torch is you basically you have a corpus. So you have a huge amount of text and you train the recurrent neural network on that text. I um, fed it the entire corpus of Idea Channel scripts. So, you know, almost five years of Idea Channel episodes. And basically what it does is it reads it backwards and forwards and develops a, a sort of, um, I'm going to anthropomorphize like off the charts here, um, like a sense of what word pairings go together. It like looks at one word. We'll look at what the next word is. We'll look at the previous two words and look at what the next word is so that it builds these relationships between uh, aggregates of words. And so then after it's done that, you then ask it to just generate a number of characters. Um, and yeah, I had it generate, man, maybe upwards of like 20 scripts. I had it generate a lot. Um, and then I went through and I cleaned up extreme run-on sentences. Uh, I cleaned up a lot of the nonsense words that it generated, things that I just literally would not be able to pronounce. And even with all of that cleaning up, I mean, the video is hilarious and makes no sense. Here are program mentions of first, or a comment of a sort of speaking. The most power to know is all makes are the of the fact. Effect of whole, not a complete, the both in the mind of actors because of a seemingly more to consider, it can sum of the characters. <laughs> That's our assistant editor, uh, Morgan gave the, the footage to him without telling him what it was. And he chatted at me on Slack while he was editing it. And he asked me if that's what it was supposed to sound like. Like he was unsure. He was like, did you, did, am I having a stroke or are you? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like so like your delivery of it, like you have this very specific way of, of delivering idea channel. Like you've got like a, a way of saying it and you do that in the, in this version, even for, if you're not, if I'm not paying attention closely. <laughs> yeah. A, a lot of people wrote comments or, or tweeted at me and they were like, so how should you feel? And how should I feel if this sounds to me exactly like what idea channel sounds like when I just leave it on in the background for make of swap, the thinking of the something, how it weigh all the process of some. So like, Face for the four. The books are the rest of history, but 
So around the same time that Mike made this video, there was a short film that came out called Sunspring, which was written by an AI named Benjamin. The guys behind Benjamin fed a neural network a huge corpus of science fiction scripts, everything from Avatar to Armageddon to Resident Evil to Spider-Man. And they asked that AI to write them a script. And then they spent one day with a cast filming the movie that Benjamin wrote for them. This is a little clip from that movie. In a future with mass unemployment, young people are forced to sell blood. It's something I can do. <laughs> you should see the boy and shut up. I was the one who was going to be 100 years old. Well, I saw him again. The way you were sent to me, that was a big, honest idea. I am not a bright light. Well, I have to uh, go to the skull. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I totally recommend watching the whole thing. It's super weird, and it's only about nine minutes long. And so I thought... What if I fed an AI all of the future scenes that we've ever done on this show and asked it to write one for me? And then I would have to figure out what that future is and how we got there. So that's what we're going to do on this episode. I compiled all of the futures that we've ever traveled to on the show. I sent them to Mike, and he fed them to his neural network that he already had set up for making his video. And then he sent me the results. And what came out that first time was complete nonsense. The system really needs more material than I had to feed it. On this show, we've traveled to 41 futures, which in the grand scheme of things actually isn't all that much text. So I needed to make a bigger corpus. So on top of all of the futures that we've done, I added two big chunks of text. The script for War of the Worlds, the uh, radio drama about aliens, and the script for the 1979 Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio play. And then we tried it again. And that time it gave us something basically usable, but very weird. And you are going to hear that very weird thing, and then we are going to figure out what future it is. But before we do that, I want to go on a slight tangent and talk about this whole AI making art thing, because that future is totally coming. I do wonder, like, when I was thinking about this, like, whether there's going to be, you know, like, the Museum of Modern Art and then the Museum of Computer-Generated Modern Art. Like, or is that, like, a <laughs> yeah. separate space? Where you... The Museum of Super, Super Modern Art. Yeah, yeah. right. Future art. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I think that you see that, at least on the, on the micro scale, is the case, that a lot of, say, computer-generated poetry or, com you know, computer-written poetry is not labeled as poetry it is specifically it is a subset of poetry it is computer generated poetry and i think that you know it would still feel dishonest to say music written by an ai is not you know computer generated music to just say oh the composer th this machine feels i think still off a little bit for you know and again whether or not that's right is another question but I, I do wonder, like, if, like, you know, the Pulitzers are going to have to add a, like, a category for, like, breaking news by a computer versus breaking news by a human. I mean, who does the who, who does the award go to in that situation? Does it go to the team of engineers who have made the computer that broke the news? Does it go to the computer? Does it go to who owns it? Like, I think these are also a lot of the other really weird questions that we are not yet prepared to have an answer for uh you know i think it, i think it works for music too and, and even painting it's like who we don't understand yet who 
who's at fault here? Like who, who is the creative party? Yeah. I want in my dream there, they wheel the computer out onto like the award stage and like put the award on top of it. <laughs> just, just rest, just rest a Peabody yeah. on top of Watson and then roll it back into its closet. That's my dream. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much of that too has to do with like just the physical embodiment of those two things. Like if we built a robot that was really cute and gave it a paintbrush or gave it a thing to do, would we be more likely to want to ascribe intention and like ownership? Yo, my my gut says yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like if the what's the does Honda make the really adorable spaceman looking robot? Like if if that if that guy knew how to play a piano really well or play the violin, I I would have absolutely no qualms saying that's he's very creative, very nice. He's been trained well. <laughs> so Mike and I had a whole really interesting conversation about this. And if you want to hear the full interview, become a patron. Patrons will get that full unedited conversation in their inbox later this week. Okay, enough waiting. Here is the future scene created by the algorithm. had the intention to go into the water. You tried. Several of you, with ribbons in your hands, you went to the water. You went speak to the women, the witches of this community. You tried. The afternoon mass had begun. And in the house next door, the doctor of the people had been waiting for five hours to see the witch and to remove her overworked hands. For a few of those hours, he talked to time, and he would well up with the littleness of each moment. The doctor had come from far away, to the country of the Boldent, to behand its witches. And just like that, the great ray of war began. But this was the last witch, they thought, and in a few minutes, the doctor would see her. For years, I had researched the destruction of this community and recorded the process. I've recorded each date that it rained sulfuric acid. These fierce and supreme witches, resilient in the face of resistance, reminding us of their bodies and brains. Witches who will scorn you for having a bullet in your hand, who wear black and study the great astronomers, who research in the evening when the planet is black and the police are asleep, who call out for the group of nations and the state from which we hear their suffering. They call out from craters who wince at metallics, strange, dark, and splendid, who keep relics and control communication, and who for all these months have lived in nature under the stars. War, what even seven of these witches and a ball of pavement can silently do, directing the start of a better future. Hmm. Or so it seems. Are these metal space activities they push for? A bombshell, a view from a hole, a window, driven by computers. The doctor can now go in to see the witch. Hello, doctor. 
Will you begin the regulations to be hand me now? There was a small bow tied to her wrist. Welcome back, Doctor. Tell me more about this life. What that birds do is good for birds, a present to birds. But we, we meet the end of the ground. And I, I vote that from this planet that made us, we stay kind to, to our boiling world. We must compress and bear it. I care for everything made on this planet, the exploitation of this planet, and expending our friends and survivors in this system. But I have a garment that can take us away, speed up to the United Station, push past the planes and beyond the broadcast stations. I can take you away from this planet. We could have dinner on the ship, miles and days away from this world. It seems improbable, I can tell by your face, but I've seen it. Where do you think the Martians live? In the trees? This is hysterics. Please hold still. Hello, Doctor. We have to die, but we are not destroyed. The Earth. Tell the Earth that there is a planet, Mars, that we have new hope. Okay. <laughs> so, it's weird. It's very weird. And my first thought when I read the script was... What am I supposed to do with this? But I am never one to back down from a challenge, even if that challenge is entirely self-imposed. So I sent this little intro to a bunch of smart people and asked them what future they saw. And when we come back from the break, we're going to go through a bunch of interpretations and analyses of this future. Okay, so we're talking about this future that an AI generated for us, and we're going to go through a couple of interpretations of the story. Let's start with my version. When I first read through the script, I read a story about a future Earth that is dealing with catastrophic climate change and trying to figure out how to survive. But there are people on this Earth, these witches, who can travel to space and I guess have some kind of base on Mars that they go to. And they're trying to convince people on Earth to come with them, to come with them to Mars. And the people on Earth have forgotten or maybe rejected the idea of space travel. So they're like, no way, you are crazy. You're witches. We need to get rid of you. And I guess instead of killing the witches, they cut off their hands because the witches maybe have these special controls implanted in their hands that allow them to drive the spaceship. That's my version of this. And in that version, I had some questions like, could witches live on Mars without anybody knowing? And what would have to happen for us to abandon spaceflight as we know it? To answer those questions, I called up my friend Miriam. So I'm Miriam Kramer. I'm the senior space reporter for Mashable. So Miriam told me that with our modern technology, it takes about nine months to get from Earth to Mars. To go any faster would require new technology, but it's possible that in this future, these witches have figured out something that lets them go back and forth a lot faster. We would, we would need new propulsion. 
um, to be able to do it. So, so something that could take us to Mars faster than like a chemical rocket. Like ion propulsion is one idea, um, which would maybe be faster. And we've, I, I'm pretty sure NASA has used that on smaller spacecraft before, but we've never really scaled it up to do some kind of, of human rated test all the way there or something like that. So these witches could in theory be going back and forth from the red planet to our planet, but it would be really hard for them to do that secretly, at least if things were like they are today. At the moment, if you send something to space, if you send something to Mars, if you send something to the moon, even if you launch a, a spy satellite, <laughs> people are gonna know and they're going to track it and it will not be a super secret thing. It never, it never is. Like with the internet and amateur astronomers who are basically just like using their telescopes to look at everything that's going on above Earth, and people, you know, like me, who basically track every rocket launch, um, you like know when people are flying, you ask questions about kind of what they're doing. So the idea that like a witch could, could go to Mars without anyone knowing like in this day and age would, is, it has me skeptical. So it would be tough for the witches to be moving to and from space without anybody knowing about it. And it would be tough for them to have some kind of Mars base without us seeing it. If, okay, let's say there was a base on Mars today. Um, and it was somehow people, it was like a secret or something like that. The whole time that they were arranging the base and putting it on Mars. Um, there are at the moment multiple orbiters with many cameras on them looking at the surface of Mars and basically mapping most of the surface that they can see like basically all of it. Unless it was underground. It might be better for everybody if they were underground um, because you get you get less like radiation. Um, you might be able to to better create some kind of uh, like little pocket of atmosphere under the surface. And some people even think that if you dig down into Mars, there's going to be water under there. So it might be easier to just, you know, get your resources when you're underground. And in the script, the doctor says that the witches, quote, call out from craters. So maybe their Mars base is underground. Or maybe there's a conspiracy. Maybe uh, <laughs> it is like a per the people that Mars One sends on a one-way trip sends them up to Mars, and then they realize like, oh, we are in a bad situation. We are not coming back, and like some radiation from space kind of makes them crazy or something, and they figure out how to come back, but they've like kind of lost it. And now SpaceX or uh, Mars One is like trying to eliminate all of them because they don't want anyone to know that they've come back. Oh, that is a really interesting interpretation. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want people to know that they've come back. Like maybe something in the time that they were away, like something has happened on Earth. <laughs> but basically, if this future involves people moving to and from Earth without anybody noticing, it means that it's a future in which humans have stopped looking at the sky. They've stopped the vast majority of space stuff that we are doing right now. No more telescopes and satellites and maybe no more NASA. But how do we get to that future? I don't know how you go about kind of like systematically erasing the way that people think about like because it's I mean it's 
it's so fundamental to at least the culture in the United States, I think. Just the idea that like we have been to the moon and we have done these space things and we have done these space things to the point where now we are bored of these space things. Um, so it's, I, I don't know like how you would go about, maybe it would have to start in schools. Like there was like some crazy public mandate basically saying like, no, you cannot teach about these things. And if you do, we're going to remove you. And then like, I would imagine it would take a generation, you know, to kind of remove those memories. But like, maybe it's a, it's a future in which like climate change is really, really bad. And basically they said like, we need to focus all of our energy on this earth and like not, because you hear that sometimes that argument when people talk about going to space, maybe this is a world where it's not that we don't know that we can go to space, but like we are like culturally conditioned to think that's like either selfish or stupid. And we need to like focus our energy on this planet. Oh my God, that's totally it. That's the way that this would happen. (laughs) At least like if it's an extension of this, like if we're looking into our future, like I could totally see that being a thing because you get those arguments from from politicians. I mean, Barack Obama made that argument during a debate, during a presidential debate, I think in, I want to say like, oh, four before he was first elected, he made that argument and people clapped. I even think like Donald Trump made that argument um, earlier in his campaign. Basically, we need to focus on fixing infrastructure on Earth before we even think about going to space again or, you know, think about going to Mars. But that's not the only way to get a society that doesn't go to space. To me, what I'm seeing is a civilization that understands that there are other worlds, but isn't using scientific language to talk about them. So it's not so much that we've forgotten that we've gone to space, it's that we've changed the cultural value of space. And so it's very easy to imagine how we might get there. This is Annalie Newitz. She's currently the tech culture editor at Ars Technica. But before that, she was the editor-in-chief of Gizmodo. And Annalie is actually the person who asked me if I wanted to do a podcast for them and who made Flash Forward happen. So yay, Annalie. I am really excited to have her on the show. And she has all sorts of ideas about how we might wind up in a future that doesn't travel to the stars. What happens typically is that you get a civilization that kind of embraces rationality and makes a lot of discoveries, perhaps even discoveries around astronomy. And then there's a backlash against um, the rulers of that civilization. And the backlash may be for reasons that are very, that we can sympathize with, like maybe people are being starved, maybe people are being conscripted into the army and forced to go uh, away from their homes. There's a lot of reasons why people get sick of their government. And then they associate that government with all these other parts of the social life of that civilization, whether that's science and rationality um, or whether that's religion. And so then you see this this total backlash against um, all of the things that are associated with that civilization. So say you're in the United States and um, a future revolution in the United States overturns the government because they're sick of um, the 1% controlling everything. But they also think of the 1% as being technocrats. And so they say, well, the other problem is technology. We need to get rid of technology. Science is what's destroying the world. It's what's destroyed the climate. We need to get back to farming. We need to get back to slow food and slow life. We need to destroy uh, the Internet because that's brought so many troubles to us. 
And so, you know, within a couple of hundred years, you might have a very pastoral civilization with very um, traditional values around, you know, maybe mysticism or some kind of new new set of new agey superstitions that involved witches. Um, and they, again, they might not have forgotten about the fact that we colonized Mars or that we colonized Venus, but they might have changed their opinions about that so much that they begin to associate it with sorcery, whether that's negative or positive, it's hard to say, especially from this little snippet. Um, but they're no longer thinking in terms of scientific rationality. They're thinking in terms of um, a more traditional uh, life. And so they, you could say it's forgetting, or you could just say it's a, a completely different way of understanding the cosmos. But Annalie was quick to say that just because this future scenario involves witches and magic and pastors and all that stuff, it doesn't mean that what we're looking at is a future that's worse or that has regressed or is less technological than we are now. I think we're tempted when we see a story like this with witches and pastors and people who um, are using mystical terms to talk about science, we're tempted to say it's a fallen civilization, that, that it was a once great civilization that's now trashed or um, destroyed. And I think we really do need to remember that just because people use um, you know, a mystical frame of reference to talk about science doesn't necessarily mean that they're not scientific. All of these people might be uh, very sophisticated scientifically and well aware that there's a Martian colony and that, that it's an option that we could go there. Um, but they're, they've chosen to have a worldview that incorporates the idea of witches and the idea of magic. Um, and that those things don't have to be, they don't have to cancel each other out. That just because a civilization uh, is a very advanced technological civilization, that it has to shed religion or that it has to shed um, you know, mysticism. Um, they don't have to. They can. They can exist together, and um, you know, it's they're not. It's not a duality there. And this brings us to the elephant in the room here: the piece of this bizarro future that we have not touched at all yet. The witch. Who is she? What is she? And why do they want to take her hands off? So as soon as I saw that there were witches involved in this scene, I knew that there were three people that I had to call. The first person you've heard from before, his name is Damian Williams, and he was on our episode about conscious AI. But what I didn't tell you then in that episode is that he also writes a lot about technology and the occult. When you look at how we use magic and we use technology, the ideas behind them are both about the manipulation of the environment. It's the use of knowledge, the use of skill, craft, and cunning to manipulate our world in some way, shape, or form. And the other two people I called are Amanda and Julie. Uh, my name is Julie Shafini. I'm Amanda McLaughlin. Uh, we are from Spirits Podcast. A drunken dive into myths and legends. We are best friends since childhood. Julia is super into history, mythology, the occult, uh, weird science and yeah. religious studies. And I am really into English literature, um, especially about women and kind of marginalized communities. And uh, so together we're super interested in witches and space. Yes. OK, so let's start with the biggest question. Who is this witch? And really, what is she? Is she a human or an alien? Oh, I, we were going human. Human. Definitely. 
I think we're thinking near-ish future, where maybe they've terraformed Mars, or maybe they have like a really big, you know, ISS space station type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I'm I'm not thinking like different races yet. And I think it's because the knowledge of Earth is too exact for me to think. Uh, they both alien. make cultural references. Like their language is compatible. Um, they make kind of similar like literary references. So to me, it seems like you know distantly. Uh, related peers or something. Except when she keeps saying hello to the doctor. That's the only she part. Does. She, she says like, hello, hello. hello. <laughs> Lots of times. I sort of saw her as like an overly, um, uh, I sort of saw her as like a very formal politician or somebody say. with like social skills that are slightly incompatible to the social norm of the other person that she's talking to. Like an ambassador. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess what I would assume is that this witch has been altered in some way. I mean, this scenario reminded me a lot of Dune, where you have a space-going civilization that has rejected technology. It's rejected artificial intelligence. Um, so sorry, this story could not exist in that world, but because um, AIs would not be allowed to write this. Um, but what they've done is they've turned biology into technology, and they've used various means to alter their bodies and alter their minds so that they can do the things that computers once did. And so you get uh, humans who are completely physically unlike a traditional homo sapiens because they are doing things like folding space, which is to say, um, you know, allowing spaceships to travel from planet to planet, um, or they're predicting the future, or they're um, doing incredible computations um, in their minds. And so I, I guess that's kind of how I saw the witch was kind of like a Benny Gesserit witch that was a person who was human, but had either um, been genetically altered or technologically altered. And so she appeared to have superpowers and she certainly seems to have access to a spaceship. Um, so she's I think she probably looks different from the other people around her, but we don't know much about what the pastor and the narrator and the doctor look like either. I mean, if they're living on... Um, Venus and there's acid rain all the time, you know, they might look very different from humans too. They might have like metal carapaces or who knows. I thought human. human. Like my, my immediate response to all of the characters except perhaps the doctor was human. And the doctor I read as also possibly being the narrator, the narrator being the doctor telling the story from a, again, a later point in time is how I, like, that's one thought I kind of had. I didn't go fully down that particular path, but I thought the witch was human, the pastor was human, um, and that the narrator and the doctor may be human, maybe some kind of weird alien cyborg. Okay, so we think she's a human, but she's a human who's been captured for some reason. And so when I'm looking at this, what I'm seeing, what what I'm taking from it is this, a kind of future where witches are kind of the safeguard of the planet um and it feels like the thing that i'm getting most is just this idea that they are both revered and reviled for it so much like historical witches who were sort of alienated women at the fringes of a community who were either too independent or had kind of weird things happen around them or had too much agency. Didn't fit the societal norms. Exactly. 
it feels here like maybe a group of witches, women, whatever people decided that they didn't like the way that earth was going. And so they said, you know what, let's just gather up some biodiverse samples. Let's have our own society. Let's say, you know, thank you earth for what you've done. And we're going to go and recreate the purity of earth in a blank canvas that hasn't been tainted by the warfare and the nuclear proliferation and whatever that's happened to actual earth. Sort of the tribe from uh, Mad Max Fury Road, uh, the with women, their satchel of seeds, satchel of seeds yeah. kind of going off into the wilderness in the hope of creating a new earth. Exactly. And then, so who is this single witch that is back? Um, and why did she come? Did she come because she's trying to be an emissary and a kind of first contact and come back after hundred years or something and say, all right, it's obvious that, you know, you guys need some help. Here we are. How can I do this? Or is she coming to lure men to their colony and help to, you know, diversify their human population? Um, who knows? Who knows? People saying, you know, as, as often happened in history, this, you know, these people are dangerous. These people are insane. They are hysterical. They're, they're, they need to be, the source of their insanity needs to be removed. And the source of their insanity is obviously this power in their hands that they believe that they have, you know, and if we remove the hands, then they will not be able to make these claims. They will not be able to make these kinds of, you know, wild assertions about Mars and the insanity of flying humans there. We can remove their blasphemy if we can remove their hands. And this brings us to the question about her hands. Are they literally going to cut her hands off? And if so, why? Or is this more of like a figurative thing? Maybe she uses her hands to fly the spaceship, or maybe it's more complicated than that. One of the things that the witch says is like, here, where is it? But I have a garment that can take us away, speed us up to the United Station, push past the planes, like, and beyond the broadcast stations. And, but maybe the garment is something to do with that. Like, she needs, like, gl- like their gloves or something to be able to operate whatever. Also, it could be some crazy future tech that we don't understand, like a Mars like something given to her by the Martians, like some kind of spacecraft that is operated by Martians. And she has to use these special gloves to be able to operate it that have like Martian fingerprints in them or something. Oh yeah, maybe they're like a bio, like in the spy movies where they like put on the glove that has the, like the fingerprints on them of another person, but it's Martian yeah. hands. Exactly, but it's like, it's Martian hands and it's somehow like you need the bio signature of a Martian to be able to fly the spaceship. Um, that could be, <laughs> could be kind of interesting. I think it could be a couple of different things. Like all great science fiction, of course, um, it's sort of plunging you into uh, a world where you don't really understand all the terminology. And so it may be that this is something as simple as hand washing, some kind of really basic ritual, but they're using this very specialized language to talk about it, as you do when you're um, very religious or mystical, you kind of have a lot of different terms for things that might from the outside seem really ordinary, but are actually, um, you know, really important and heavily symbolic. Um, So maybe she's getting her hands washed. Uh, Maybe she's a cyborg and she actually is getting a new pair of hands. 
Um, maybe she's uh, being tortured and, you know, this is her punishment for being a witch is that they're removing her hands. And so it's kind of like uh, Lev Grossman's series, The Magicians, where if you lose your hands, that's the worst possible thing because most people do magic with their fingers. Um, like I said, when I was thinking about it, it made me think about the handing both in, yeah, the the literal removal of hands, but also for the purpose of the more kind of symbolic representational removal of hands removal of instruments of power um i think we came up with two kind of alternatives to this do you want to start with uh the scientific one sure so the sort of first reading i had here was that maybe you know over a longer period of evolution human beings as we become more dependent on technology and devices and our kind of um the hand movements that are important become smaller and smaller as we use joysticks and buttons and touch screens maybe our hands kind of atrophy and maybe they become you know kind of not useful to us and as robotic technology improves maybe it just becomes easier to kind of like replace our limbs with much stronger more precise more resilient alternatives that are robotic and so are the witches people who retain their natural hands and it's illegal to have that. And so when they sort of catch them, like that's a punishment is to sort of reset the witch's body to like a societal norm. Or maybe do they give up those robotic hands and kind of like make do otherwise? Um, I don't know. Are there nanobots that are inserted into everybody at birth to kind of, you know, prevent you from aging and your body from breaking down and witches to sort of like join their tribe and prove their worthiness and, you know, do that kind of like strength proving exercise, have the nanobots removed so that they age kind of resembling that idea we think of the hag and you know the old lady the crone old lady witch um and kind of communing with nature and using homeopathy and kind of natural medicines um i don't know um and it's funny that you mentioned kind of hands as a tool because when you're looking at something like spell casting or ritualistic you have to be able to draw certain symbols that are you know particularly difficult to do and uh somewhere in the passage i'm forgetting where they kind of talk about um like laying down the bullets and a bullet in hand so then our other reading was more about disarming so you know be handing like unhanding a witch is sort of like normally that sentence would come out as you know lay down your weapons or we want to disarm you um and so if if witches are pacifists and they you know don't want to catch people with bullets in their hand like the priest says or the pastor says um you know witches hands are tools and their weapons so maybe the humans are really paranoid and if she is an emissary from the space colony when she comes into earth in like the holding chamber or something they want to you know um make her clean and make her you know more safe and so maybe they put her hands in like isolation gloves or Faraday cages or even more traditional handcuffs to kind of disequip her and to disarm her. We were also talking a little bit about how um, it might just be sort of a translation thing and the doctor might be, you know, scraping her fingernails for a certain kind of uh, earth, well, dirt in this situation. Yeah, or like pathogens or trying to sterilize her, mm-hmm. whereas she is like, no, no, like this is my skin. Like this is my power. This is what I bring to you. Like she's kind of trying to bring the best of her planet and her mm-hmm. colony back to earth. And they're saying, you know, this stuff isn't useful to us. Maybe the bow around her wrist is the bow of a tree. Maybe yes. it's fashioned like a daisy chain, you know, out of herbs or kind of powerful plants, mm-hmm. um, you know, that she kind of is bringing as like a gift. And they're saying, you know, this worldview isn't even like compatible with what earth is doing right now. Yeah. Okay. So this whole episode has been an exercise in projecting meaning onto something that is basically nonsense. And I think that's actually one of the things that's really fun about this is that even though it was written by AI and it's kind of 
Um, parts of it seem nonsensical. It also does feel like a real science fiction story where you're kind of an outsider in this weird world and you're just trying to figure out like, are, what are they doing? Like, is this an alien? Is this just a, you know, religious ritual? Who are these doctors? Who are the witches? Um, I kind of want to know more. Yeah, I was saying to Julia, like I like I majored in English in college. And so I spent all of my time just like extracting meaning from like inscrutable early English poems and stuff. And I'm sitting here like, oh, no, maybe my my like discipline isn't true because I can make anything mean something to me, even, uh, you know, AI script that that at first glance doesn't seem to have any kind of coherence to it. But I want to end with a little coincidence that encapsulates just how easy and fun that can be. Remember how Miriam told us that it takes nine months to get to Mars? Oh, numbers are important to witches. And also the uh, (laughs) gestation period of the human body. But here's the extra fun part. It only takes nine months if you do it right, if you time it right. Yeah, and it all kind of depends on, like, the alignment of the planets. So the best... The best way of getting there is like waiting for the alignment that happens every 26 months where Earth and Mars are closest together, basically. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Yes. No, we noticed that as well, who wear black and study the great astronomers. So like black was the color of scholars and monks, right? Like keepers Mm -hmm. of knowledge and kind of passers on of like, you know, the best of humanity. Right. And so we imagined kind of witches thinking about what would be the right astrological uh, and, you know, astronomological and star like in alignment to get themselves out to Mars. They would have to think about when the planets were aligned, when the, you know, whatever, all of the fates were aligned to get them out there. Um, That just really has resonance. So what do you think? What is this future scene? What did we miss? What does the future of witchcraft look like? I'm going to upload this scene to its own little place online, and I want to hear your interpretations. Go to flashforwardpod.com AI to hear it again, to see the script, and to leave your own version of this future. Okay, that's the show and the season. Thanks for coming along this weird ride with me for this last episode. The show will be back on November 1st with all new episodes. They're going to be really fun. I've already got a big list of them. It's going to be great. I just am going to take a little bit of time off. Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Avalith, and is part of the Boing Boing podcast family. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Broke for Free. Stephen Grenad was our pastor, John Olier was our narrator, Jake Mastrangelo was our doctor, and Tamara Krinsky was our fabulously creepy witch. The music you heard in the intro was by Ben Sound, and the break music was by Fields, Ohio. The episode art is, as always, by Matt Lipchansky. If you want to suggest a future we should take on for the next season, send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. I love hearing your ideas, and I've got a whole new season I need to fill, so keep sending them. And if you think you've spotted one of the references that I've hidden in this episode, email us there, too. If you're right, I will send you something cool. And if you want to support the show and make sure that the third season happens, there are a few ways that you can do that, too. You can go to flashforwardpod.com donate, and you can find out all of the ways that you can give to the show. And if financial donations are not in the cards for you, that's totally fine. Head to iTunes and leave us a nice review or just tell your friends about us. That actually helps. I say it every time, but I promise you I would not lie to you. Okay, that's a lie. I would lie to you sometimes, probably. But I promise you that those things do help. Okay, that's all for this feature. Come back next season and we'll travel to a whole bunch of new ones. <laughs>